0: Otherwise known as Mogi and JC, welcoming you to the next episode of the Breakout Sessions podcast. This episode is sponsored by Computer Recovery Associates and Dooley's Pub. We would like to welcome our featured guest to the podcast, former Wisconsin Badger, eight-year NHLer, longtime D three and D one head coach, Dean Talafus. Mog, well, Dean, thank you so much for joining
1: us today over here at JC's. Um, but I have to give a special shout-out to Dean's granddaughter, Ella. We met Ella at a downtown establishment in Eau Claire a couple weeks ago, and she told us that uh, Dean Talifas was her grandfather. And I told her I've been trying to get Dean Talafis on the podcast for months, and she goes, don't worry, I'll get him on there. And lo and behold, here he is. Dean, welcome. Well, thanks for having me on. And, uh,
2: yeah, it's um, Ella's a special, special girl, and uh, so I, I – I let her know when she sent me the message that the only reason I was doing this was because of her. But uh, anyway, it's so all it's good to be here.
0: Thank you. <laughs> well, we appreciate it. Now, you know, Dean, you originally grew up in, in uh, Minnesota, um, born in Duluth, grew up in Hastings, Minnesota. What was it like for you growing up as a youth hockey back in your day?
2: Oh, boy. Well, I, first of all, I lived in... Uh, uh Proctor until I was eight, and I was a basketball player and that was big that was big. They had gone to the state tournament the next year after I left but um um so I had a hoop in my backyard and I would go up and skate in the winter a few times with my sisters. in fact, I had figure skates um but never thought of hockey and then I moved to Hastings, and I had a neighbor who played hockey, and he gave me one of his extra sticks and said, well, "Why don't you join us and I think after that one that first time out there, it was just uh, it was all hockey from that point on, so um yeah good, good move my dad made bringing me to hastings <laughs>
1: very good move <laughs> so was your family a, a basketball family then Dean have yep. your parents played basketball
2: yeah my my dad was a basketball player in high school up in Duluth, and uh yeah that and I was tall, I was the tallest kid in my class, so it just everybody just assumed I was going to be a basketball player.
0: But boy, once you get that itch with that stick oh. in your hand and the skates, turns turns heads. You know, it is a fantastic sport.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I can. I mean, I'm sure you guys played hockey. You know, if I just think back, those that first year of playing, you know, I was up there every day after after school, and you know, we had a we had a, we had a, a rink with with snowbanks, and then we had the hockey rink, and I found out that. You played hockey on the snowbank rink until the big boys waved at you and said, come on over and join us. So I can remember every day trying to get them to see me and see how, you know, I, that was my dream to be able to climb over those boards and play on the hockey rink. And I think it was about the, almost the end of the winter. And they were short a couple of guys and I remember getting the call and, and telling me I could come over and play and climbing over those boards. That was,
1: that was a big highlight at
2: that point.
0: <laughs> you know, a good childhood memory for oh, certain. Hey,
1: you knew you made it, right? You got on the yeah. big rink with the boys. Nice.
0: <laughs> you know, let's go to, uh, you know, your collegiate years. Um, you were awarded the most outstanding player at the 1973 National Championships and scored the game-winning goal in the championship game tell us about that i mean what a phenomenal year and you were with the badgers you know which is uh one of my two favorite collegiate teams yeah uh,
2: you're gonna like this story it's a true story too uh you know um flying out to boston i was i, I was a center iceman and uh i think i was either first or second in in, in points going into the national championship and uh, and uh, Jeff Roach, who had been the captain the year before, and now he was a grad assistant, uh, was flying, and he was sitting next to Bob Johnson. And Bob told him, he said, because uh, I just spent this past year with Jeff at an alumni get-together, so I know this is a true story. Anyway, Bob told Jeff, he says, I'm going to move Dean back to defense. This is in the national championship. I wasn't aware of this. He said, I'm going to move him back to defense. I want you to keep an eye on him. Because oh. <laughs> I think, that, you know, so anyway, he comes up to me when we got to the arena for a pre-skate. And he says, you know, you're going to play defense. And I says, I'm going home. I says, I ain't playing defense. Never played defense. It's a national championship. And he says, he says settle down. He says, you'll be fine. So the first game, I'm playing defense. And I don't remember how many times he threw me up at forward, but from my understanding as I was playing almost every position at some point, and I scored the tying goal in the semis with five seconds to go, and I scored the winner in overtime. The next game I come back and I score the winner again. And so I used to always tell guys that I coached, you know, just go out and play your heart out because you never know what's going to happen. You know, I could have turned around and, you know, pouted. I could have said, you know what, this is crazy. Could have had a bad attitude. But I just remember I was so excited to be there and just go out there and play every shift like it's your last. And I end up scoring the three
1: biggest goals. So, you know, you never know. So did they do that to you, Dean? Did did you get more ice time in the game then? I'm guessing they probably double-shift you a lot of times too. And I, You know, I... Dave Arundel, the
2: defenseman I was filling in for half the time, was a little upset early on because I'm good friends with him, too. He lives over near Minneapolis, and he says, in the early part of the game, you were stealing all my shifts. And he said, I wasn't real happy, but he says, as the game went along, he started moving up to forward and other positions, and I started to play more. So to be honest with you, I can't tell you how many I played at forward or D. you know, I wasn't counting. I was just ready to play, and and and. But I know I scored both goals in the goal crease. So if I was playing D, <laughs> you wouldn't was, have had that I, same I, opportunity. Yeah, I certainly wasn't staying back in. playing defensively. <laughs> <laughs> so oh.
1: Dean, as a Minnesota guy, how did how did the Gophers not snatch you up?
2: You know what? I was a junior playing at Lakota Arena. Bob Johnson was in the stands. I didn't know he was there. He came down after. Coach Johnson and he was waiting for me when I came out of the dressing room and he's and he just looked at me and he says, Dean Talifas, he says, I'm offering you a full scholarship to be a Wisconsin Badger. He says, you'll be a great Badger. He says, you enjoy your last two years. You're going to be a great Badger. And about every week I got a call from somebody, some alumni, some coach from Wisconsin. The next year, the Gophers came and about two weeks before signing date and spent six hours in my home. And I said, I'm going to sleep on it. I woke up the next day, and I says, crying out loud, I says, Wisconsin's been there for two years, and I really believe Bob has a place for me. So I chose I chose Wisconsin. So we win the national championship. Now, had I went to Minnesota, Herb
1: Brooks won it the next year. So I say, <laughs> okay. either way, yeah. I would have been a national champion. <laughs> would <have> done Okay. <laughs> So yep. you signed with the Flames after winning the NCAA championship your junior year with the Badgers in 1973. What made you make the leap to the NHL after your junior year?
2: Boy, I'll tell you, you know, I I all I can say is I must have thought I was ready. You know, I mean, they came to me and said, we'd like to sign you. And um, it happened quickly. But I just, I, I must have just thought, you know what, I'm ready. Um um, it just, like, it happened quickly, and I was signed, and that didn't happen very often back then, a player leaving early. So, you know, I just, I, I think ever since I was, I, I nicknamed myself when I think when I was 10, Dino the Pro, I used to ask my sisters for their allowance money so I could go watch the North Stars. I said, I'll pay you back when I'm a pro. <laughs> and I just, I had this dream. I had this dream that one day I was going to be playing out there, and I just, every day, worked as hard as I could. And so when they came and said, we'd like to sign you, I, I I signed.
1: Your sisters probably wanted their money back by that time, too, didn't they? Well, yeah, I think they still feel like I
0: owe them a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> that interest hasn't been paid yeah, off right. yet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Dean, I, I want to go back to uh, to Badger Bob for a second. You know, we hear different stories about him, all positive. You know, what a great hockey mind. Do you have a favorite story about him that that you could share with us?
2: Oh boy, I'll tell you. I I any of us that played for Badger Bob, you know, are thankful for the time we had with him. He uh he was just way ahead of everybody. He learned from the Russians. He was, you know, he was a teacher and he he was a student of the game and the way he coached and uh, he was always the first one on the ice you know i mean he would beat all of us out there and we'd come onto the ice and he'd tap us on the shin pads and how's big dean Talaffus doing or how's gary schwinchester doing and it was every day and we, we we'd lose i remember going into michigan state and we lost i think it was six to one and he'd come in the dressing room when he's telling a story about this team that came back the second night you know in some tournament and He's just passionately telling the story of this huge comeback the second night by, you know, and by the time he was done, we thought we had won the game, you know, and it was 6-1. The next night we came out and we throttled him because it was just the way it was, you know, and never, anything never got him down. He just, and uh, I think going into the playoffs, we were always fresher than the other teams because he made everything so much fun and so positive that we just kept getting better and better and better. A lot of coaches they beat their team down, and they get frustrated. And But Bob was, didn't matter, win or lose, let's just get better. Let's enjoy the game. Um, I know one story that Mike Eaves t- told me. He had called Bob when Bob took the Pittsburgh job. I don't know. I, I probably don't have all the detail on this, but I know uh, pretty much. Um, anyway, Mike called him from Calgary. He was playing in Calgary. He called Bob because Bob had lost six, seven, eight games in a row. And so he called them just to try to pick the spirits up. And about halfway through, Bob goes, you know, he goes, he's Mike, we're just this. We're so close to being a great hockey team. Now, this is after losing about seven in a row. He's like, we're so close to being. Well, then he made the, tree, the, the trade for Francis and that big defenseman, and they went to the Stanley Cup that year. Win the Stanley Cup, but that was Bob. We're so close. Oh, we won seven. The, the <laughs> press is on them. They're going to get rid of them. We're so close. Well, they, they were close. They won the Na- yeah. Stanley Cup. So yeah, yeah I, there's a million stories, but uh, he was special. He's one of the best.
0: You know, what attracted the Badgers and then the pros about you? What was the skill or skill set that you had that you stood out that uh, they wanted you?
2: Well, I took the game. I was always accused of maybe taking the game even a little too serious. You know, I was. I was just. I was. Yeah, I did not like to lose, and I. I just every. I left it on the ice every. every I was just who I was. and It is today. Um, so I think they like my compete level. I know Freddie Scherl when he was coaching me in New York came out in the newspaper and said I was the smartest. American he'd ever coached. <laughs> okay. But that was his way of giving me a compliment. Um so I think I was a, a pretty smart hockey player. I played hard every night and I was good in the corners. Um I mean that's I mean if you read my hockey cards, every one of them says he was good in the corners. He was good in the corners. So I must have been good in the corners, but um but I just, you know, whether it was practice. I remember practicing tryouts for Team USA in seventy six, I won't mention the guy's name. Um, he went on to be in management and things, but I can remember just in try and just in practice, I can remember him looking at me about the third shift. And he says, Take it easy. This is just practice. Oh. But for me it was more than practice, you know, and it was that way all the time. Food hockey didn't matter. It was uh it was always more than just practice. I
1: I wanted to win. Did you play any other sports growing up? you mentioned you played basketball as a, as a youngster. Any football, any baseball, golf anything? Yeah, I I played uh football, wide receiver. Um and then base,
2: baseball. I played um I was a, a pitcher. I was pretty good in those two sports. My dad thought baseball would be my sport. Um you know, I think most good athletes played more than one sport back then. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I did play other sports.
0: You know, you talked about jumping from the collegiate level, uh, your junior year to Atlanta contracts back then were a little bit different than they are now. Do you remember what the contract was that you did or that you signed for the very first time and how did it transpire?
2: What you know? What I was so excited to go to the NHL. I don't even know if I looked at the contract when I signed it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, I, I'll tell you what. I, I when I look back, I was just, I was oh god. And I had a, an attorney handle it that had never done a contract before. And uh, and it, actually, I, I have, I have the contract. Um, I have all my contracts. I still have them. Oh. And so the other day I was going through a bunch of stuff and I looked at it and it was like, they had me at 50,000 if I played in the NHL and 20,000 in the minors for the first three years. And I think they were thinking this, this kid out of Hastings, 20-year-old American, probably going to take him, even if he makes it, it's probably going to take him three years of minor league hockey. But it also had in there. I got a fifty thousand dollars bonus on top of the fifty if I played more than forty games in the NHL, and I played my first year in the NHL. So I ended up doubling my salary. So it ended up working well for me. But if it had gone the way they expected it, it would not. I should have been in college. So. <laughs> well, good for you. Yeah, hundred
0: thousand that first year not, back in the early seventies. That was a pretty good chunk not, of change. Not too bad. So
1: you got drafted by the Flames. Um you were also drafted that same year by the WHA Cincinnati Stingers. Did you ever consider playing with them? Well, I, I think the deal there
2: I had heard that I was their first round pick, but they never contacted me and I think the reason they didn't contact me was every college kids always went 4 years. They never left early. And they didn't they drafted me the year before they had a team. So they got the draft So they took me and said, I've got two years left in college, and that'll be the year they start playing. So we can wait on them. So they drafted me, 13th pick, I think, their first pick ever. Yeah. And so I signed after my junior year, and I caught them probably by surprise. And I didn't even think of calling them because I wanted to be in the NHL. But, uh, you know, I I never went and looked to see if I really was their draft pick ever until – Barry Melrose was on a Zoom call, and he was talking about him and Messier and all the guys that played for the Stingers. And um, who's the other guy? That that right winger that scored all those goals for Washington? Uh, Gartner. So oh, they all garden. played yep. for Cincinnati. Could and I'm thinking, and I so so <laughs> I said, I'm going to Google. Did I really get drafted by them? This only happened a few months ago. So I googled, and sure enough. I was their first overall pick ever for the Singers in the first round. I thought, well, that's pretty cool. So that's pretty <laughs> so, yeah, <very> cool. <laughs> Heck yeah!
0: <laughs> oh, you know you. <clears throat> excuse me. You played for three pro teams. You know the the Flames, the North Stars, and the Rangers over an eight year period. Which team was your favorite?
2: Well, um, I'd say the Rangers. We had the best best team, best players. We had Freddie Sherrill, who was fabulous, very fabulous coach, Um, Hall of Famer. And then my last year, we had Herb Brooks as my coach. Um, We had Esposito, we had Anders Hedberg and Alf Nielsen. They took from the Winnipeg Winnipeg team. They were two of my really good friends. We had John Davidson in the goal you know we had we had a lot of good players we went to the Stanley Cup finals Madison Square Garden um you know of course going back to the North Stars and 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 play and sitting in a dressing room i can remember the first time i sat in there i'd been watching them growing up and all of a sudden there's Prezi there's Goldsworthy there's Monteago, and i'm like Crying out loud, these are all my heroes. This these are the guys I've been watching for the last three, four years. So that was pretty cool too, but 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 the Rangers would I would say it was my best experience. And I, I played my best hockey.
1: Packed house every night. Yeah. New York City. New York is crazy. Yeah. You know the the
2: grandpas and the great grandpas, everybody passes the stories down and they they never forget. I can remember I could go all over Minnesota and I grew up there. And nobody would recognize me. And the first day I was in New York in a gas station, a bunch of people came up to me, welcomed me to New York, and I'd only been there a day. Wow! So I mean, that's that's New York, though.
0: Yeah. Wow. You know, I'm going to take a quick break here to uh, give a shout out to one of our sponsors, Dooley's Pub. Has been Eau Claire's home for hockey and all sports fans since 2005. And they also have a great server there by the name of Ella. Hey, thanks, Ella. (laughs) (laughs) Dooley's Pub is a proud booster of the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire and local high schools. It's located on Historic Water Street, providing excellent food and service. And you will not be disappointed if you stop in, that's for certain. That's for certain. uh, You know, you have played in an era of say some magnificent hockey players in the NHL. A lot of hall of famers just is there one that stands out is the toughest competitor you ever went up against
2: wow my all-time favorite player is bobby Orr.
0: oh yes <laughs> absolutely <laughs> you know yeah
2: and and yeah no i mean there was only one bobby Orr. nobody emptied the tank like he did and the talent and how hard he played and how team-oriented he was and just spectacular. So I just, I mean, I played against a lot of good players, but uh, he'll always be my favorite.
0: Pretty good choice, I think, JC. I think so, yeah, absolutely. It w- Ever was a situation where uh, you were one-on-one with him and you actually got around him?
2: You know what, I'm at a point in my life now where I can say things about myself and I'm okay with it. I was on one-on-one and I had him beat cleanly to the outside, but then I remembered he, this is my this is my hero. So the puck somehow went in the corner. <laughs> oh <laughs> no! I just uh, I I don't little, think little I could be- I don't there? think I could I don't think I really truly could believe that I was actually beating Bobby Orr. And I said this isn't right.
1: <laughs> Lost your focus and there goes the puck, huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh my
0: gosh! All right, <laughs> that, that, that's something else. You know, one of Bobby' Orr's um, phenomenal teammates in Boston was uh, a guy by the name of Phil Esposito that you had the honor of playing with in New York. And before we started the podcast, you told us a little bit of, of a story about uh, about Phil, and it, it, it's it's a great one, and you got to share that with our listeners.
2: Well, um. Yeah, so Phil's last game of his career, he was going to retire. It was the last game with the Rangers, masculine Square Garden. It was packed. It was all about Phil. Every, signs everywhere. Phil Esposito. Well, he wanted to score. That was the one thing because that's what he's known as, a scorer. I mean, that. And he talked to anybody about Phil. You know, seventy first one to score seventy six goals when he was in Boston. Anyway, they put myself on the right wing and Don Maloney on the left wing because we were the guys that were two of the better players in the corners. So we'd feed Phil the puck. We'd go into corners, we'd work, work, and then try to find Phil in the slot and hope he could score. So I can remember vividly that I, I threw the puck out to Phil and he was on the right side, top of the circle, and he shot the puck. I think he even got one more couple shots, a rebound. And I'm coming out of the corner and, All of a sudden, there's the puck in the crease. I'm about a foot away, so I slapped it into the net, and I heard Pete or Phil after me. I could have got that. (laughs) 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 And uh, a lot of people wonder, is that really a true story? Well, about a year or two ago, they wrote about it again. They interviewed him again and mentioned that, you know, Dean Talbot scored the goal on your last assist. Do you wish you'd have scored? Do you wish somebody else would have scored that goal? And Phil just said it was a great evening, and uh, anyway, um, Phil Phil was a wonderful teammate, and and to say that I played off and on on his
1: line for me, uh, boy, that was a that was a real privilege. That's pretty cool. So Dean, you played 497 <laughs> regular season games and 21 playoff games in the NHL. Knowing that when you were a little boy, you're going to be Dean the pro. Was it everything you dreamed of when you got there?
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean it's um you know like I, like for the first year, you know, it's like I was just starstruck. I mean, you know, I'm just looking around at all these guys that, you know, like I had Stan Makita's one of his first curve sticks from a Northland rep, you know, and I was in my basement and all there's Stan and Bobby Orr, you know, all of a sudden there's Bobby Orr and you're playing against them and and uh and then in the dressing room of North Stars, I all of them I had followed and idolized, and and then and then I'm there alongside them, playing in that league in front of full house. I mean, if you know, but but it takes so much to stay there that you don't have time to sit around and 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 look at the stands or think about, hey, we're finally there. You got to prepare every night to be the best you can be, or somebody's gonna somebody's going to take your position so yeah it was at first it was like wow i'm here
0: here but then it was get down to work and stay here right, <laughs> right. you know if our listeners could see it he's i don't think he's lost his grin yet Mogue. i think it's better it got bigger when he talked about you know uh, getting a goal on phil esposito's last point but it hasn't diminished at all this is this is absolutely fantastic yeah, this is fun <laughs> you know we've talked about Bobby Orr. we've talked about Phil Esposito. We've talked about the three teams, you know, toughest competitor is Bobby Yore. who was your favorite teammate? Oh, favorite teammate.
2: Um, you know, I, you know, I had a lot of good teammates. I, um, Tom Reed with the North stars. He was a neighbor. He's still a good friend, you know? Um, I still go down to his restaurant you know every couple of weeks with friends um yeah tom tom i would say tom with the north stars and then anders hedberg we were we were we carpooled together we we had kids at the same time we lived in the same neighborhood He's needs a first class guy and heck of a hockey player so i those two names, as far as uh, professional teammates, I would say are at the top of the list.
1: So you had an opportunity to represent the United States in the Canada Cup twice, in 76 and in 1981. What was it like to play with and against the greatest players in the world? <laughs> it was.
2: It, I mean, that, that, Those are two really special, special years for me to be able to be on those teams and play against. I mean, I remember Canada, I think I was out there and Ready, to, I had a face off, and I think there was Bobby Orr, uh, Bobby Hall, <laughs> Esposito. I mean, they're all out there. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here, we're, we're going to take a face off. <laughs> what, what, what are we doing out here? You know, I mean, those are the greatest players to ever play, and they're all on the ice. But, um, and then just the other teams the Czech team, the Russian team, the Swedes, the Finns, um, and then playing throughout. Canada in all those arenas in front of full houses uh, you know that and then playing with all the best Americans yeah you know that you don't play cuz you're on different teams but now you're all together and you're representing the United States
1: so um yeah th- th- those are really special memories so you played with and against all the phenomenal guys back when you were playing dean what do you think? Um, what do you see as the big differences between the game when you played and, and the game now? <laughs> well, you know we have an alumni alumni suite
2: that the Wild has for okay. uh, ex NHLers. Okay, so we have we get certain number of seats that we divvy up, and then behind there's a there's a room where we can bring guests, and you know there's free food and stuff. And I always tell people, you know, it's just a lot of alumni. You know, patting each other on the back, saying they don't play the game like we used to. <laughs> 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 but, but but you know it, you know but having coaching and you know and being honest with myself, it's like the game is so much faster. It's better coached. The style of play they've taken a lot of the holding, well, all the holding and 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 all that stuff, you know, out of the game. It's just fast. I, I I went to a game the other night and we were seven rows up and our alumni seats are on the club level. And I say, you know, up up in the nosebleeds, I still think I can play if I'm watching. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I said, I said I think I'm a first liner. I said, but I was sitting down by the glass. I'm like, I'm for sure a fourth liner, or maybe the press box. <laughs> Healthy scratch. It's just, it's, it's amazing the yeah, skill they're, level they're right now, and the speed of the game, and how offensive, and getting five guys involved in the offense, and just, it's, uh, it's terrific. It's, it's as good as it's ever been. Yeah, the Wild have been really fun to watch this year. Oh boy. Oh, boy, yeah. They got one heck of a general manager. Yeah, they do. Great coaching staff. And they got a lot of really first-class players. But as far as seeing the rank and IQ, they got four guys, Bodhi, Zuccarella, Kaprizov, and Fiala that are right at the top. Yeah. And um, very entertaining. Um, Just a good mix of players. Um, Yeah, it's fun to watch them.
0: So any bragging rights when you're in these, uh, you know, the the honorary uh, um, alumni room? Alumni room? Uh, yeah, any bragging rights? You guys, you know, jabbing each other a little bit, telling stories about who was, who was better? Well, we don't have enough time after we get through complimenting how good we played when we played.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, it's funny, it's funny. I, I got to tell you, this. I don't know why I'm telling you this story, but we, we have a golf, alumni golf tournament. And uh, I'm out in the parking lot, and a guy comes over, and he's just like, oh, man, I can remember watching you play. He says, "He says, you know, he says, I, I just really enjoyed watching you play. And he's talking, going on and on, on, and I finally I realize has got the wrong alumni. So I said, I got to stop you. I said, I don't think you got the right alumni. He says, well, who are you? And I says, Dean Talapas. He says, oh, I'm sorry. He says, I- I- I'm sorry. I thought you were somebody else. He walks about 10 feet away and he turns around and he goes, you know, you're all starting to look alike. <laughs> <laughs> so oh that, that love night room, we get a lot of laughs, you know, we have a really good time and
0: uh, in the wild for doing that, we're very appreciative. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I, we're talking about, you know, the old timers and stuff and, And uh, there's a Hall of Fame goaltender that passed away not too long ago by the name of Tony Esposito, and and you had a chance to play with him, uh, and and got a chance to watch him suit up, and and you told a story. I I would love it if you would share that story with our listeners as well about Tony. First of all,
2: um, before I tell you a little humorous story, yeah. First of all, he he was. I, I know why he was. I know why he's a Hall of Famer, the way he practiced and the way he prepared. And the way he reached out to all the players too. I mean here he's I, I don't know, upper thirties, I think. He was towards the end of his career and still he, he took the game very serious and he wanted to make the guy next to him better. And I, I could just you could just feel that, his presence in the room. So it was a real treat for me to just be in that dressing room for a couple of weeks with him. But he did put this hot rubbing balm all over his body. It's hot. And then he would wrap him. He'd wear his long underwear from his ankles all the way up to his neck, and he would tape it off at the, the in the arms and at the ankles to keep the heat in. And then he put all of that goaltender equipment over him, and he play the game, and then at the end of the game, when he that that stuff his underwear was black, <laughs> and he would rip that tape off and tear that underwear and throw it in the garbage. <laughs> I, I just I just never see anything like that. But I suppose a goalie, you know, you want to stay sharp, and a lot of times you might be in one end of the rink and you're not getting a lot of business. Well, that that hot stuff's gonna keep, gonna keep you awake, keep you for focused on. Sure. Huh? <laughs>
1: But what a great guy he was. Oh. What a great guy he was. Vogue. So I have to ask you a question about, uh, do you remember the time when you were playing with the Badgers and you guys had an exhibition game that Bob Johnson had dreamed up that you were going to play at the University of Wisconsin-Superior down in Madison? Do you remember, remember that? It? Yeah. Okay. Now, my understanding is you didn't suit up for that game at the start. How did, how did that go?
2: Actually, Greg and who works for Central Scouting, he was a freshman walk on down there. And he later his sophomore year transferred to superior. But anyway, he was telling me the story that, yeah, they came and got Bob and one other one other or two other like starters and told us to get dressed. Because they we were I don't know if it was tied or we were losing or what, but Bob was not going to lose that game, so, <laughs> so he dressed up a couple, a couple more varsity players just to make sure that. Uh, I don't remember the whole story. To be honest with you, it's kind of a blank for me. But the only reason I, I'm, I'm saying you're probably right is because Greg Rajanin, who went on to play for Superior, um, uh, just a few months ago
1: or, or this past year, um, mentioned that story to me. We had uh, George on. He was one of our first interviewees and he talked about that how he was he had he was with the team but he wasn't playing yet he was not eligible and that was happening and somebody told him hey go find those guys and he they said they found you i don't know maybe in the beer garden or something like that
2: (laughs) (laughs) i don't think i wasn't in the beer garden oh sure (laughs) (laughs) or at least i don't remember but you know george is my roommate
1: Oh wow! Yeah, okay. when he came,
2: when he came down from Thunder Bay, I had I had two bedrooms in a nice apartment right across from Camp Randall, and Bob says, "Would you mind having this uh, this kid we're transferring in from Thunder Bay?" It's George Gwazdecki, so we've remained friends ever since. So, yeah, but so George is telling the story, and. Greg Rodin telling the story
1: so it's got to be true I, I I vaguely remember it but isn't it, that what a story that is huh Oh it's great and he said the same thing he's like Bob it was it was a little hairy there towards the yeah. getting into the third period and he's like okay go get those guys uh, get them get them
0: ready to go <laughs> Yeah again the smile is still big Mo. Uh, you know um you played under 3 Fantastic coaches: Herb Brooks, Fred Shero, Bob Johnson. What type of influences that those guys have on you that allowed you to be a good coach yourself?
2: First of all, um, first of all, they are all three are in the Hall of Fame. Um, But um, I go visit as much as I can, like once a week, my old high school coach. And, um, and so a few months ago, his granddaughters and that were there with, with me, I was visiting him and, and I said, I had, I told them. I looked at the granddaughters and I said, you know, I had Herb Brooks, Bob Johnson and Freddie Sherrill, three hall of fame coaches, but this guy over here is the most important one. And they're all like, what? And even he said, What? I says, yeah. I says, if I didn't have you first, I wouldn't have had the other three. Well, yep. so that's a my, very nice. Uh, my my tribute. high school oh. coach, he tell, he told me about hard work. He taught me hard work and mental toughness. And so I'm grateful to him. Now, as far as the other three, I mean Bob, Bob was the most influential for my coaching career because anybody that played for Bob went on to coach no matter how positive they were, they were more positive after being with Bob. No matter what kind of student of the game they were, they became a better student. You know, um, no matter what kind of bench coach they were, they became a better bench coach. Because um, Bob was so good in those three areas. Um, he was, and and so, I mean, I, I learned a lot from her up there, but I only had him one year. Yeah. Um, but but he came to New York, and the Canadian players were like, who's this Yankee? We'll get rid of him. And I'm like, he just won the gold medal. I'm an American.
1: <laughs>
2: and the first practice, he had us go half speed, a scrimmage half speed, and all, there, all these Canadians are going, what the heck kind of coach is this? Well, the reason is because we used to dump and chase all the time. But if you can't speed up, you have to go one speed. You have to think two, three plays ahead, so you're in position before the puck gets there because you can't hurry up and get it if you're too late. And okay. it was the greatest drill we ever did. We improved more from that one simple drill. So Herbie taught me things, and Sher- Freddie Sherrill taught me that. I met with him four hours when I retired, and one of the things he told me at the very, very end, I was walking out of his house, he told me all these stories about decisions he made and things he did. And then when I was walking out, he goes, Hey Dean, he says, just remember this one thing: ninety percent of winning is having the right guys on the ice.
0: <laughs> yes, it is. And
2: you look at you look at the Wild right now. Billy Garen went in that dressing room. He says we need to get the right guys in that room. And once he did, looks what's happened. So I never forgot that. So all three of them were terrific, and all had a tremendous influence on me um, in my coaching.
1: We're gonna take another minute for uh, another sponsor. Computer Recovery Associates. They specialize in removing, monetizing, and recycling computer hardware from large data centers. Whether you're looking to relocate, repurpose, sell, or recycle, Computer Recovery Associates can help. Check
0: them out at ComputerRecoveryAssociates.com. You know, Dean, you had a very good, well, spectacular hockey career that hasn't ended. But what, excuse me, was the deciding factor? that ended your NHL career? Why did you decide to leave? You
2: know what? I had, um, I got checked when we were playing the Islanders from behind. And I spent weeks in the hospital and then in traction. And they were giving me medication and drugs and stuff. And I can remember after about a month, I went down and played in the game and like I always do, tried to play the man, and I was right back in the hospital. Um, I went home and started seeing a chiropractor. That helped, but off and on for the next year and a half, I would be in and out of the games. Um, I just they didn't. I think they know more about those type of injuries now than they did back then, um, because now I golf and things that I haven't had surgery. They said I would need it. Um, so I still do a lot of things now. Um, so the neck inju- inju- injury was really frustrating for me to just be in and out all the time. Um, and then I got traded and went to Quebec. And I said, you know, if I bring, bring my family up here and you know stuff, I'd like to have. You know, it was my last year, of my contract. And they says, no, we'll, we'll talk about it after the season. And for some reason, I said I'm going to get on with coaching. So I, I quit. If I did it over again, they would have carried me off the ice. I'd have played another 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, good but, for but, you. But when you're that age, you just do things. And I just thought, okay, I'll go coach. So,
1: well, And coach, you did. Uh, you started out at the University of Minnesota, and then you spent six years there, and then you became the head coach at Division Three River Falls, your first head coaching job. Differences between coaching at the with the Gophers, coaching at River Falls, and ironically, you talked about George Guazdecki earlier. George was also head coach at River Falls.
2: Exactly, and he's he won he won national championship, and I won one. Yeah, and both in the Hall of Fame there. So, um, but um, at Minnesota is where I relearned to coach because I was in charge of well, special teams and things. Fortunately, cha- you know, it was practice. I got to observe. But where I relearned the game is, I broke down the video. So I was sitting in this little room, and I would watch uh, Ron Mason from Michigan State, who had won nine hundred games. I would watch films and films of Michigan State, breaking it down. You know, where could we attack them? Where could we have the advantage? And I would just hours upon hours. And I would, what I did was I, both and Gino Gasparini up in North Dakota. Another great coach, so I would watch these great coaches and their teams, and after about twelve hours of watching their video, I'd like they don't they're just so well coached that how are you gonna beat them, you know? And I started to write down what do they do so well, and you know, just I just learned so much from watching the great coaches and how their teams performed, and then being able to be part of the Gophers, and working with them. Um, so that really prepared me, and then, you know, I just w- really wanted to be a head coach, so I took that position in uh, in River Falls. And, uh, you know, I had I had a clear vision, and I was what kind of team I wanted and how we could win uh, that was consistent with how I believe the game should be played. And the first couple of years, we were... The worst team in hockey, I think, and and you know the whole thing. Their petitions were around campus and <laughs> to get rid of you, and uh, you know, and it just it was just. And I thought well, I'm going to lose my players, and you know, they I can't blame them if they leave. i mean, losing every night, and you know, and I was going to, you know, and it was really a physical game then. But I wanted a team that stayed out of the box, played the game within the rules. Um, but it wasn't working, and so I was. I remember one night I was just thinking, you know, maybe I had to change. Maybe I had to go after some big guys and maybe play the same way, and then I just thought to myself, nope, if I lose my job, I lose my job. I'm going to stick to my guns. You know, it's who I am, and the next year we end up at Aldridge Arena, and we lose in overtime in the national championship final game with only three lines, 4-D, and next year we win the national championship. Um, but what made a difference was after that, that year two, I called the six who I thought were the six best coaches in America and asked if during the convention after the season, if I could meet with them and they all gave me, I said an hour, they all gave me two, three hours by the pool. And I wrote down all my notes and then I went home and I tried to find common denominators between, I asked them all the same questions. And then I took what I thought were the reasons they were winning and tried to implement them into what I was doing. And that really was what really my, you know, Falcon hockey and me as their coach, that's what really helped us take off is and so, but you have to humble yourself. I thought I had all the answers when I took over the job, and all of a sudden I realized I don't have the answers. And losing is not fun, and seeing that petition was humbling. So I got on the phone and I called guys that were knew what they were doing. And I said, "Can I have some time?" And then when I was National Coach of the Year and we won that, I stood up and I thanked them all. And they had no idea that oh. I would talked to each of them.
1: Oh, sure. Yeah. I just
2: thanked them, and they said, "Why are you thanking us?" I said, "Because <laughs> you guys helped me so much." So.
1: Yeah, so I read an article about that, and you had evidently filled up notebook after notebook after notebook. Do you still have those notebooks anywhere in your archives? I have them uh, mixed in with a lot of other notes, Um, (laughs) but it's just it was
2: it's just a good memory, and it's just a good thing that I can pass on to other coaches. That you know we don't have the answers, and we can learn from each other. And you know, until you're willing to listen and go out there and find some help, you know, you're gonna be you're gonna struggle yeah you know yeah. so
0: yeah well, after you left the Falcons, you ended up jumping from d three to d one as a head coach up in Alaska. What prompted you to leave the d three program to go up to Alaska
2: well uh youth i mean i mean you 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 win a national championship we went four years to the final four, and then you're a national coach, and you think. You can win on the moon. Well, I couldn't get to the moon, so I went to Alaska. As
0: close as <laughs> <laughs> end of the world, but you can see it from there. Yeah,
2: and you know those are five good years. You know, and and I it probably was my best coaching, even though we were the best we had was two back to back seasons around five hundred. But when you're playing Denver, Colorado, the Gophers, the Badgers, North Dakota, on an Olympic sheet. The Heatley's of the world, at some point they're gonna take over the game. So going five hundred up there was, was, you know, when I look back was it was hard, but we, we got it done and um but uh yeah, so that, you know, I don't have any regrets going up there. Um but uh, uh it, it was uh that's a challenge. In fact, even to this day, they went through
1: seven other coaches, and yeah. I think that you know it's been tough for all of them. Was the big challenge getting the getting the recruits to come up? That's you just know, so far to go.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just it's just with a lot of travel. There's a lot of travel. Um, you don't have the facilities, so when a recruit goes to Minnesota, North Dakota, Denver, and they see their facilities, their weight rooms, their things and then they come and they see a racquetball court that nine teams use as their weight room. Um you know, it's it's just it's hard. It's all about recruiting. You got to get good yeah. players. Yeah. But those two years that we were 500 um we played some good hockey and uh so those those kids can be proud of what
1: they did up there. So you had a young man named Pete Talifus on your roster at uh, uh Anchorage in O Uh, 2000, 2001. What can you tell us about him? Well, I sat him for about a month and a half because he was my son,
2: and I didn't want everybody to think that I... First of all, I told him he can't come up. He wasn't ready, and he says, well, I'm showing up whether you're there or not. (laughs) And then I sat him for a month and a half because I'm like, the guys are going to think I'm playing favorites. Sure. Yeah. And so this is a true story. I get a call at my apartment, and... Pete called me, and he goes, is this Coach Talafis? Not Dad. Is this Coach Talifus?" I go, yeah. And he says, well, this is Pete Talifus, one of your players. And he says, I'd like to stop this father-son relationship, and let's make it a coach-player relationship, because if it's that, you'll put me in the lineup. Okay. So I put him in the lineup, and he becomes Rookie of the Year.
1: Wow. <laughs> <laughs>
2: How about that first story, you, that's
1: awesome. You got to give Holy him credit. Cow.
2: I give him a lot of credit. Too
0: much. Good for you, Pete. a Boy. Yeah. All right. Stood up to the coach and dad all at the same time. That must have taken a
1: lot of courage for him. I mean, that must have been a tough phone call.
2: Well, and I tell you what, he did. He played some great hockey too after that. Awesome. So I'm so glad he did it. Yeah.
0: Oh well, thank goodness you heeded his request. And allowed him to make that jump. But, you know, right now the Badgers play in the Big Ten division as opposed to the old WCHA. Do you have any opinions on D1 hockey where it is now with this Big Ten division compared to when it had the, all the old rivalries in the WCHA? Well, you know. I can only say that
2: when when I played and coached, and it was the WCHA, it was wonderful. And there was every night there was rivalries and going on, and battles and wars going on, and full house, and people just really getting into it. Um, you know, it's it's it doesn't have as much of that right now. I I don't know what's going on out east or whatever. Um, um. I hope there comes a day when, you know, it, buildings are full again and, and there's a few more rivalries and because it's, uh, it's, you know, it, players like it, coaches like it, fans like it. So, but I, I'm not going to, I mean, the coaches work hard today. The players are very good. Uh, there's good hockey being played out there. Maybe we'll never see it again as it was. And all of us that were there when it was different just cherish the moments. And yeah. Yeah. now it's today's game. So, you know, I don't want to, you know, criticize anybody or anything. I I, I just – I enjoy hockey. And so and I think the players are great. And, of course, they're going on to the NHL. All these, So it's, it's good hockey. But I think a lot of the fans, especially the older fans – do miss those rivalries
0: (laughs) yes we do (laughs) yes you're talking a couple of them right here dean (laughs) oh you know after uh you left your coaching ranks you founded the total hockey training uh tell us about that what is total hockey training and and what do you do
2: well you know I, i saw a statistic well first of all when i when i got out of coaching i came back to the twin cities and i started working for acceleration and that's the treadmill Okay. So I started working for them in the Twin Cities and then the corporate office asked me to go up there because I developed a hockey program. They were just doing individual skating on those. And I said, "Why don't you build big facilities and train them in all areas and have that treadmill just be one of your stations?" And so we started to fill up in the Twin Cities and they're like, "Can you show us how to do it in all of on all the states?" So I got involved in that. And then when I got out of that, I said, you know, the USA Hockey published some statistics that the, the attrition rate for hockey was going, you know, it, it was, it, we were losing players. And I just thought, well, everybody's playing games, but we're not running good practices and we're not developing players. The best players, the Brattons of the world, they don't need a hockey camp. They're just born to be a hockey player. But how about all these other players that could use some help to increase their skill level, have a little more success? That's why we're losing players. A B and C player, if you never score a goal, you're going to go wrestle. You're going to go swimming. So I thought, I'm going to start off ice like a classroom program where kids can come in and get 2,000 repetitions shooting the puck the right way or working on their vision or working on their stick handling or whatever. But let's do that so that when they go on the ice, they'll have more success. So I built the one in Hudson, and then we started doing both on ice and off ice. And then former NHL players started flying in saying, we heard about what you're doing. Can you build me one in Toronto? Wow. You know, could you build me one in Florida or out in Denver? So for some of the alumni and also high school coaches and people that were involved in hockey, they we started building one. So we built one in Denver and one up in the Green Bay area, and we built one in Florida, and we built one, a few in Minnesota, and Toronto, uh, Calgary. Anyway, we, we built these so people could work with um, – and, and the, we always said – all boys and girls of all skill level. Anybody can come in there. And we had scan card where you could look and see what your best score was the first time you did it. And you go online and you could track your progress and just ways to motivate kids to just work on their skills. So we did that for almost 12 years. And then I sold the business to a couple of NHL guys. And... Um, and they've taken it more into the retail end of things, um, because just about everybody started building dryland centers mm-hmm. after that. Um, but we were like one of the first, so we got ahead of the game. But uh, anyway, it was for me, it was rewarding because I tell people now, because now I'm back in coaching and mentoring young coaches, that until you remove the scoreboard, it's hard to have patience and with with an individual and give them time to develop and start doing things the correct way and having some success because you got to win. And if the kid's not getting it done, what do you do? You set them, Yeah. put somebody else out yeah. there. But in that training room, in that classroom setting, I would see C players come in and after a year of working on their skills in our facility, but I would also send them a program to work at home in their basement or driveway. Well, they were coming in saying, I made the B1 team. I made the A team coach. And so we saw little miracles happening <clears throat> yep. all around our facility, and it became very rewarding. So what it's done is it's made me much more patient and understanding that if you, if you, you know, are positive with that individual and you stick with them and you, you make sure you reward them every time they do something a little better in practice or in a game – little miracles happen
0: well i gotta say thank you for you know your years of experience and now you're passing that on to the next generations and uh these young hockey players i hope in the future they realize how much that means to the hockey community to have you doing that dean that's that's absolutely fantastic
2: well, I can just tell you, I wake up in the morning feeling pretty good. I'm still part of the game. It's a, it's a wonderful game.
1: I was going to ask you, you know, we still see you around the rinks. I saw you at the when the Badgers played the, the Duluth Bulldogs up in Chippewa this year, and you work with the Hudson Havoc. So what drives you to stay involved with the game after all these years? Is it just seeing the development of the kids and just watching the pure joy of playing?
2: Well, I know one thing my wife tells me. Either I get a job in hockey or she's leaving me. <laughs> oh, okay.
1: <laughs> That'll keep a guy motivated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she,
2: she knows that I love the game. I love to be a part of it. And I know the Hudson High School about five, six years ago asked me to come and help them out. And we won a couple championships. It was fun. Working with the young staff, and then uh now this past year, the havoc Junior team asked me if I'd come on their staff and help out. had a wonderful winter um I just love the game, and so you know and and you know there'll come a time when i I'm not probably any use on the ice anymore or maybe coaching, but I can tell you
0: I'll be in a rink watching, yeah because it's just it's just a great game Yeah, Dean uh. This has been, for me, a trip down memory lane with everything that you've talked about in the era that you played hockey. Uh, all of the people that you played with or against were idols of mine, I'm sure, Mogi yeah. as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the discussions of the coaches that you've uh, been under, thank you very much for your time. This has been great, Mog.
1: Well, yeah, thank you, Dean. I, I just appreciate it. Again, I thank Ella for uh, convincing you to come and, uh, I think this is going to be a great episode. A lot of people are going to appreciate hearing what you have to say.
2: All right. Thanks for
0: having me on I really enjoy hanging out with you guys. <laughs> thanks, Dean. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, please don't go away. We still have our Medical Minute. Today, we have Dr. Randy Kane, a chiropractor from Eau Claire, for our Medical Minute. Welcome to the show, Randy. Thanks, guys. Today,
3: I'm going to be talking about a condition called spondylisis, which is better known sometimes as a PARS fracture. And what that is, is it is an area in the usually in the lower back that will sometimes develop a stress fracture due to overuse. And it usually starts out as in just one side of the spine. And typically that patient is going to be a a child or a teenager, and they're going to develop pain, usually with extension and then turning to that side that has the involvement with where that actual fracture is. So what That patient will normally come into an office usually within one to sometimes even a month later with pain, uh, specifically in the lower back, sometimes even in the buttock or hip area. And generally speaking, the provider is going to need to get some diagnostic uh, imaging done with this, either an X-ray initially and then sometimes followed up with a bone scan or a CT and even an MRI. And once we have located that, what we try to do is... Brace that area, generally speaking, anywhere from two to four weeks, and then that treatment is going to be followed up with some core stabilization exercises and other forms of therapy, such as exercise, stretching programs, even sometimes some some manual therapy to loosen up the musculature. And the most important thing when you develop a PARS fracture is removing that athlete from play. And they will probably be out of competition anywhere from two to four months. Um, And then once they are pain-free and have returned to full range of motion, that athlete can start uh, competition again.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Kane, And a huge thank you to our audience. We would also like to thank our featured guest, Dean Talafis, again. A special thank you to our sponsors, Computer Recovery Associates and Dooley's Pub. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter and visit us on our website at thebreakoutsessions.com. And remember, folks, until our next episode, stay on your inside edges.